I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. A dark time, a difficult time, a tragic time, a time where people needed hope. And into this time, as we heard last week, the Lord in his perfect timing fulfilled prophetic words, and Jesus was born. He came through the lineage. There were prophetic promises that were filled as Jesus came. And now he's, he's been quiet in his private life, growing in the wisdom of the Lord. And now's a time where Matthew, writing to Jews, is going to tell us how the Lord continues to fulfill prophetic promises and work out his good plan of restoration. And so, Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and from the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think, you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I'm going to pause there, and I want to make a few comments about this section of Matthew 3, and then we're going to come back. So don't put away your Bibles. Keep them right open. And I just want to talk through this. I want to talk through this message of hope that the Lord sent through John the Baptist. And um, again, I say the context was incredibly broken and difficult. It had been such a quiet 400 years where God's people had been waiting to hear and hear words from their God. In the meantime, what had happened, there needed to be reform on every level. 
every level needed restoration. Their lives were a mess. Their relationships were a mess. Their religious system needed reformation. Their political system needed reformation. They faced a world power coming in, the Roman Empire, that unless they stayed really quiet, they would go under the foot of the Roman emperor. Everything was a mess. Everything was dark. And yet, God who doesn't forget his people, in his perfect timing, he sends John the Baptist, who had been prophesied about in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, about 700 years before, had spoken of this one who would come, the voice of one calling, I'm reading from Isaiah 40, Three to five, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So when he sends this one that is preparing the way, have you ever been here when an important dignitary, somebody that our culture considers important, is coming to town and they, you know, like stop traffic, they post people over the, you're shaking your head, state trooper, <clears throat> Stanford, they post people over the bridges and make sure they're preparing a way for somebody important. God sends a prophet. He sends the Holy Spirit on someone to prepare the way, to remove any obstacles, make a straight path for a dignitary. The Messiah is coming. The Holy Spirit is on John, and he's got a message of hope. And this is who he is, and this is what he says. And he starts to call them, and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A message of hope. Repent. Turn. Repent means turn. You're going one way. You're going the wrong way. (laughs) Turn around. Go the other way. You're following your own ideas. You're following wrong thinking. You're following wrong ideologies. You're putting your trust in something other than God alone. Turn. Turn. Repent. Yes, it's an inner work of sorrow, of deep regret for not following and being loyal to God. But it certainly doesn't, it's not an emotion, it's an action. Repent means turn. (laughs) Live differently. Live in light of God and his love and his promises. And so he's calling, repent. And people are coming from everywhere. It's not just one town or one city, but this one who, um, this cracks me up. You know I kind of laugh at my own jokes. But I'm thinking, who was the original person that would go to Whole Foods? It would be John the Baptist, right? (laughs) Organic, right? Um, Just honey and locusts. And he's, like, totally repurposing everything, including a camel skin, like that hair. You know, like, that's what it means. Like, he, he was so not tied up 
with what was going on in the world. And as a prophetic voice, as one who needs to speak for God, we can't be tied up with what's going on in the world. We need to be undistracted so we can listen and we can have a message of hope. And he comes with this message of hope and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near or at hand. And all these people, they recognize what I'm trusting in, what I'm trying to do, it isn't working. And they're coming in humility and coming and confessing their sins and being baptized in the river, a picture of washing away of the old, of being cleansed. And they're turning their allegiance. They're being baptized, expressing their faith in God. They're returning. It was call. It's grace. Grace that God sent a prophet to give a message. And they respond. And all who have ears to hear and hearts that are softened respond. And so these people are responding. It's, it's remarkable. This isn't ceremonial washing in the temple. This is out in the river, out in the world. And Pastor Dave, <clears throat> recently you reminded me of a quote from uh, Leslie Newbegin about the gospel being public truth. Here's John making the gospel public truth. There is a God, and he has a way forward. He has promised a Messiah, and the Messiah is coming. I'm preparing this way for this dignitary, and the way I prepare it is to prepare your hearts. Remove every obstacle so that you're not trusting in anything else, but you're trusting in the one that's coming, the Messiah. Well, some other people show up. I told you about the townspeople and people from the surrounding towns and the whole Jordan area. Well, some other people show up. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Who are these people? These people are people that are Jews, all right? So God's chosen people, and yet the Pharisees, they are the religious leaders that need restoration. They need reform. Because what they've done is they've taken the law, the, full, the, the fullness of the Old Testament, and they've, they've said, they've just um, tried to, legislate your heart to live right instead of living in a love relationship with a loving God. And so they've taken all the regulations and made them rules, and then they've added some extras on top of that, lots and lots, hundreds and hundreds of rules to live by, and they themselves are not living by them. But they're putting a heavy yoke, and this is the religious system. Then you've got the Sadducees, who are also Jewish. They're the more affluent, and they're concerned about politics. They also don't have their theology right, so they don't believe in angels. They don't believe in resurrection. But, you know, have you ever seen some people that get interested in politics and also don't have their religion, and they're all right? (laughs) But they're trying to legislate. We're trying to control And we're trying to live a good life for ourselves and what we think in our mind would be good for everybody else. What John says to them, I struggle to know what tone of voice he used. But he was so full of the Spirit and he was so bold 
And yet he was speaking truth that was even calling them to repent. And he says to them, you brood of vipers. Did he say it harshly? Did he say it with incredible grief? What was his tone of voice? I want to know. Someday I'm going to know. But he's representing God who is full of grace and mercy and also justice. And he says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So we hear a call. Hey, Pharisees and Sadducees, change your ways. You're not living right. And he says this warning, don't think that you can just say, we have Abraham as our father. And this is a really serious warning. Because having Abraham as their father, they're taking that as an automatic in. But they aren't living as children of Abraham and as children of a loving God. And he's saying, I can't. The Lord can make stones become children. The Lord takes dust and makes people. And he says, don't count on this. Don't count on your pedigree. Don't count on your um, family history. Don't count that your great-grandpa was a pastor or, you know, one of those revivalists. Or don't count on the fact that your, you know, parents did this or that or that you've gone to church all the time. But count on this. Do you know him? Are you following God? Are you looking for a Messiah? Are you expecting the Savior to come? And he gives this agricultural picture when John is, uh oh, one more thing. I'm just talking through this passage. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. A tree is up high, right? And I, yeah, yeah, a tree is up high. And I watched Mr. Dane take out a chainsaw and take down a tree, and within just a couple of seconds, boom, that big thing was down. This is the picture. He's giving us really physical pictures here to understand if you're not bearing fruit, if you are not living for God, boom, one minute you can think you're on top of the world and over everything. He's taking you down, and he's going to throw you in the fire. That's serious. It's a warning. It's a warning to them. It's a warning to any of us who have grown up in the church. Do we have lives that produce fruit in keeping with repentance, in turning and following him? Then he says this. He talks about the one that's to come that will baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, which is a prophetic promise. Remember, Joel talked about the time that the Holy Spirit would be poured out and his sons and daughters would prophesy. He's saying, there's one that's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and there's one that's going to bring fire, purification. And he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is an agricultural picture. There, remember, 
Creation started in a garden. God's spoken of as being the master gardener. There's been a crop that's been grown. And at some point, there's going to be a separation. When a crop is grown and the wheat is gathered, then they have this thing called a winnowing fork. I'm not a farmer. I studied this. All right? But so they cut this. They bring it in. They wait for a, a windy day. They take this winnowing fork and throw up everything that's cut. And the little heads of wheat are heavy because there's still life in them. And that falls to the floor. And all the other, you might just call it brush, you know, all the little stems and all the other parts, that the wind just takes it because it's light and it's dried out and it just blows away. All right? And so he's saying there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a separation. The Messiah is coming and there's going to be a separation And that that is good, that the gardener wanted to grow, that has life and potential for multiplication and more crops, that is going to be saved. And everything else is going to be blown away. And then it talks about burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Farmers will often, before a new crop is sown, they will set that field on fire. And all the dry stuff will burn off. Well, there's also dens of snakes in those fields. And the fire starts to make them start to come out of their dens. And usually most of the snakes are burned up. And a few make it out. He's given a very vivid picture of judgment. He is saying, those of you that are like the wheat... The Messiah is going to spare and he's going to preserve as valuable as what he was wanting all along. Everyone else, everything else that is not good is going to get blown away and burned up. And he made that special comment to the Pharisees and Sadducees that said, you're coming out like a brood of snakes. A family, a brood is like a hatchling, a a group, a family of venomous, deadly entities. Turn, repent. John has, this is so full of the gospel of hope that you can turn and trust in this one who's coming. And these pictures are like the lion, right? He's coming like the lion, the roaring lion of Judah. And now let's carry on, starting with verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. 
with him, I am well pleased. So John's been talking about, we're preparing a way. John's preparing a way for one who would baptize with fire and water. And he describes this coming Messiah, this Savior, the Deliverer. And Jesus, who came from Galilee, can anything good come from Galilee? He comes in a most humble way, from a most humble town. And he comes to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John, who had the discernment, these, these ones that are in leadership that are venomous and deadly and are not life-giving to God's people. Now he turns and he recognizes John, the prophet, also has a gift of discernment. And he recognizes that Jesus is holy. He, he shouldn't even be worthy to, to carry his sandals or untie them. That was the lowliest task of the lowliest servant. And John's saying, I'm not even worthy of that. John's looking at him, and I wonder in that moment, what was, you know, like was John wondering? Like, I just wonder, what was going through John's mind? John is a human, we're human, but he has the Holy Spirit telling him to baptize, call for repentance, and now he meets Jesus. And he recognizes the holiness, and he says, I, I shouldn't even be touching your dirty sandals, let alone baptizing you. Jesus, who has no sin, fully God, fully human, comes to be baptized. What is he doing? What is he doing? Submitting himself to this. He has no sin. Repent. What does he have to turn from? He's been following. He's been doing the will of his father. Didn't you know I needed to be in his house? He told his parents. Jesus, right there in that moment, is beginning his public ministry of restoration. He's identifying with sinners. He doesn't come Even though he's high and holy, he comes in such humility. And he comes with such a heart of identification. And he says, this is right for me to be baptized. He's identifying. This is the beginning of him identifying with sinners all the way. And we'll watch through the book of Matthew as it leads us to the cross. And him laying down his life in total identification with us, taking on our sin. And right there, he's washed. And he comes up out of that identification. And he comes in this picture, it's like the lamb, right? We're seeing this modest, weak, quiet. He only says one sentence. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is doing the right thing. He's doing what his father wants, and he's taking the first step. And this is his coronation. I was looking, coronation, uh, 
King Charles is getting ready to have his coronation in May. I don't know a lot about coronations, do you all? We live in a democracy. We don't live where we have kings. But I was reading that there will be very special ceremonies, very somber um, religious ceremonies, and he'll be receiving a crown, and he'll be given power and acknowledge the power that he's being given as king. Jesus, the Messiah, is the king. And he's here in this baptism picture, and he's, this is his coronation as king. Where's the crown? The Holy Spirit comes, opens from heaven. Everybody there would see and understand that this is coming from the highest God, king. And he's being clothed with power. He isn't getting a crown. He's getting like a full clothing of the Holy Spirit and power. And what's his commissioning words? What does he go out? What's his charge? And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. What is his charge? What does he go forward knowing? He goes forward knowing that he's in relationship, that he's a beloved son. He goes forth. He's going to enter into this restoring work of starting to set everything right in the whole cosmos. And he does this in relationship. This is my son. There is nothing more important that he needed to hear. Jesus, who is fully God, needed to hear it. Jesus, who is fully human, needed to hear it. (laughs) This is my son, whom I love. He goes forward in belovedness. He goes forward with a ministry, a restoring work of love. He goes forward knowing that God is well pleased with him. What's he done? Some of us feel like we've got to accomplish so much before God will be pleased. God's pleased because he loves. And he loves Jesus before Jesus starts into this whole restoring work. And he loves Jesus every moment and every step of the way through. And he loves Jesus on the cross. And he loves Jesus in the grave. And he loves Jesus in his ascension. And he loves Jesus when Jesus is going to be coming back in that lion state. But even at that, it is the most hopeful message in the whole Bible that he is going to be making everything right. He's going to be restoring everything that's broken. And as we go through this passage of this book of Matthew, we're going to be watching. We're going to be watching to see how did he restore What did he do? Because we're disciples of Jesus, right? We want to learn. We want to look through the lens of restoration and see how does Jesus approach walking out his belovedness, walking out a life of love, walking out a life of power and gifts and authority under the complete submission to his father.
today I feel like that there's three things that possibly could be things to, well, there's a lot. There's so much in this passage. It's so full of the gospel. But I feel like there's three things. One is repentance. If we're trusting in anything else, if we're putting our trust in a religious system that's broken, in a political system that's broken, if we're putting our trust in some activism way of trying to restore the world that's not directly under the authority and the direction of God, today's a day to repent, to turn. Because only God, there's, there's activism and, and activities for every kind of thing that's trying to make life better here on earth. But there is only one God who can restore all things. Every family, every body, every relationship, every way that we can be community together. The Lord's saying, repent. Trust me. I believe that he's telling us that this prophetic message that John brought about a coming king who would set all things right, would judge, that's not a popular message. But it's a biblical message. It's a kingdom message. And it's a message that needs to be regained by the church at this hour, in this dark time, that there is a king who's coming that's going to judge And if you aren't the wheat, if you don't have the life of the kingdom in you, if you aren't connected to him, the gardener, you are going to be discarded. And we don't want to see our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, the world. We don't want to see the modern day, whoever they are, Pharisees and Sadducees and world empires, thrown into that eternal torment. And so the Lord is calling us, I believe, to rise up as a prophetic voice in this hour for the church. And I believe that the Lord is inviting each of us to look to the Messiah, to look to Jesus, to the one who came as lamb, but who's coming as lion. And in these next weeks, as we unpack this scripture from Matthew, let's learn from him. Let's follow him and learn about his restoring work. Will you follow him? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the hope of the gospel. I praise you and thank you for John, who was unhindered and bold. Lord, I pray that you would help us to repent, Lord, any way that we need to turn to confess sin, to to be right in placing our trust only in you. Lord, if there's anybody here today that needs to repent, Lord, I just pray that you would help them to quickly respond, just like the people of old were getting in the river and being baptized. Lord, I ask that for those of us, you said that you eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, that you want us to eagerly desire them, especially that we might prophesy. Lord, if you want us to be a people, and I believe you do, that speaks of your coming judgment, Lord, would you give us the tone of voice? Would you give us your heart? 
Would you give us your grace to connect and speak to people in the ways they need to hear it so that they have the hope that you long to bring? And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to choose to follow you, to learn from you, Jesus, Messiah, coming King, Lord of Lords. We worship you, Lord.